The Guardian. We want everybody to get a flu jab uh, in the run-up to uh, this winter, and that's why we're rolling out the biggest ever programme of, of flu uh, immunisation, flu inoculation. Obviously, we've still got COVID. Uh, we've still got the threat of a, of a second spike of COVID. At the end of July, Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the UK's flu vaccine programme for the winter. It will be much more comprehensive than in previous years. The aim, in common with that of other governments around the world, is to reduce the spread of flu as COVID-19 cases rise. Of course, not everyone will get the flu vaccine. And even if they did, the question remains. What happens when flu meets COVID-19? In Tuesday's episode, we explored the role of viral interactions and looked at whether viruses might compete or cooperate with each other to get a foothold in taking on our immune systems and spreading within populations. If you didn't catch that episode, I'd really recommend going back after this one to have a listen. Today, we're tackling the question from a different angle. What can we do either as individuals or in medical settings to avoid the double whammy of two respiratory viruses this winter? And is it even likely to happen if we're all social distancing anyway? The problem we are definitely going to face is there will be this diagnostic dilemma. The symptoms of of COVID-19 are pretty non-specific. So when a patient comes to the, the GP or goes to the hospital, it will be almost impossible based on clinical symptoms to say whether someone's got COVID-19 or whether they've got flu or whether they've got the common cold. I'm Ian Sample and this is Science Weekly. To find out more, I spoke to Peter Horby, Professor of Emerging Infectious Diseases at the University of Oxford. He also has another role. Peter, you're the chair of the UK government's new and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group. A a bit of a mouthful, nerve tag, as we'll call it. Um, One of your recent reports was looking at more established respiratory viruses and what they might mean if there's a winter resurgence of COVID-19. First off, I wondered if you could just tell us a bit about the kinds of factors that might lead to SARS-CoV-2 or any respiratory virus, for that matter, becoming more widespread in the winter? It's clear from the epidemiology that most respiratory viruses, not all of them, are worse in the winter and worse in the sense of increased transmission. There's a lot of debate as to why that is. It's probably related to the environment, so the temperature and relative humidity and how that affects the survival of the virus, how it affects the upper respiratory tracts receptivity to the infection but also there's other factors like people are indoors much more often there's changes in the relative humidity inside the house etc so there's lots and lots of factors that together mean that during winter we nearly always see an increased rate of the transmission of these respiratory viruses. And is there any evidence that SARS-2 that's already in the population could hinder or help the spread of a a secondary virus? Paradoxically, it may well be the reverse, that actually current situation is going to lead to less problem with other viruses, mainly because they're spread by very similar routes. And so the measures we're taking against COVID-19 will also be effective against influenza and other respiratory viruses. So we may well see lower rates than usual if we maintain social distancing, wearing face coverings, etc. What's Important to note, I think, is that actually, because the virus is a new virus, that it's actually in many ways more transmissible than influenza, for example, because everyone 
well, most people have no prior exposure to SARS-CoV-2. So it will spread much more easily in the population. So if we start to see spread, for example, of influenza, um, it means that we're also going to see even more spread of COVID-19 because it's more transmissible. And to date, there's there's no indication that having COVID and having infection with either flu or rhinovirus or one of these other common viruses makes your disease more severe. But at the moment, we have to be a bit cautious about saying that with any certainty because the data are quite limited at this stage. One of the issues I'm sure GPs and hospitals are going to be having to deal with is that there are some common symptoms between flu and SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and and perhaps other respiratory viruses as well. What sort of challenges does that present? Yeah, I think that's the real issue. The problem we are definitely going to face is there will be this diagnostic dilemma. The symptoms of of COVID-19 in in milder cases or even in severe cases are pretty nonspecific. They're the sort of things you see with lots of respiratory viruses, fever, cough, um, shortness of breath, etc. So when a patient comes to the the GP or goes to the hospital, it will be almost impossible based on clinical symptoms to say whether someone's got COVID-19 or whether they've got flu or whether they've got the common cold. It will be very hard. And so this will mean that it will be a a dilemma for the treating doctors to know what to do with those patients. So we are going to have to be looking at tests that can differentiate between COVID and the other respiratory viruses. You know, the consensus is, is that we, we are going to need to have access to you know, diagnostics that can tell you quickly whether someone has COVID-19 or not, and also whether they have flu or, or another respiratory virus. There are other difficulties in that, well, no tests are perfect. So there's always a, you know, a number of patients who are false positive tests and a number of patients who have false negatives. So if you have someone with respiratory symptoms and you have a negative COVID test, it doesn't completely rule out they've got COVID. So it is then helpful to know if they've got another virus like flu, because then if that's positive, then it gives you more confidence that it's not COVID, that it is flu. So what we've recommended and what people are currently working on um, in public health England, et cetera, is making sure that there is access to tests that can look at multiple viruses at the same time. So you're not just looking for COVID-19. COVID-19 can put huge pressures on the healthcare system. If you have, in addition to the other respiratory viruses, then that will make the situation even more challenging, which is why influenza vaccination is a very important part of the strategy going into this winter. If we want to be able to test for multiple viruses um, in the same person, potentially from the same sample, does that mean we need to build up fresh capacity to do that? Or is the capacity already there within the existing testing centres to sort of adapt and offer that for the autumn and winter? The capacity to test for other respiratory viruses at the scale currently being done for COVID is is not there at the moment. And so there will need to be a consideration of, of, of where it's most beneficial to introduce additional tests. It may well be that it's the, the value is greatest in hospitalised patients so that you can put in place different infection control measures or um, different patient care pathways, etc. Um, you know, most hospitals can already test for flu, so there'll be less difficulty in establishing that as, as additional testing capacity. I think the challenge will be if, if there's a wish to introduce, say, influenza testing in the drive-in centres and the screening activities, for instance, around healthcare workers, then, then that will need 
that will require an increase in capacity. Are there things that hospitals will need to be doing to keep patients separate? We would want to avoid transmission of COVID-19 in hospitals, particularly because, as we all know, it's a much more severe disease in in the elderly and people with um, pre-existing health conditions, and which you know characterises a lot of patients that are in hospital already. So it's really important that measures are put in place to prevent transmission from a COVID patient to other patients who are already in the hospital. So there is a need to put in place quite careful measures, infection control measures, to make sure that COVID patients are not infecting other patients. And that highlights the importance of of having the availability of the tests and testing people who come into hospital. I wonder if there's a risk that if people perceive, or if there really is um, a, a, a substantial uptick in cases and hospitalizations as well um whether you do end up with a a delicate situation of maybe people avoiding hospitals which i think probably happened at the, the earliest you know in, in the first wave of these infections so you may have people with serious flu infections who think maybe i won't go to hospital actually it was definitely seen with with other conditions um you know, non-infectious diseases conditions that we saw a big drop off in the number of patients presenting with other diseases but probably because they were put off coming to hospital or seeking help rather than the fact that those those illnesses weren't happening. So you're right, you know, we want to make sure that hospitals are safe places for people with all conditions and infection control and diagnosis around COVID is critical to that. You talked a bit earlier about the importance of the flu vaccine programme. The UK is, is going for this as sort of hard as it seems to be able to, and I know there's been a, a big scramble globally for for flu shots for this season. What sort of impact could it have, that sort of vaccination programme? The influenza vaccine won't provide any protection at all against COVID-19, but what it will do is it will help us in other ways. You know, flu vaccines can be very effective. It does depend quite a lot on how well the vaccine matches the current circulating strain. But when that match is good, then they do have a good effect. So it is something that we can do now to try and prevent you know, a number of adverse outcomes in the winter, really. One is which is you know, reducing that diagnostic dilemma, reducing the pressure on primary care, reducing the pressure on hospitals as well. And so the, the, the flu vaccine programme is a real concrete thing that can be done to help us over the winter. So it's really been prioritised as an area to put extra effort in this winter. Peter, with these different viruses in circulation, SARS-CoV-2, influenza and so on, could SARS-CoV-2 replace influenza or could they to and fro year in and year out? I'm just wondering what the future might look like with these two viruses, assuming both of them are now with us to stay. I think we do have to assume that they're with us to stay and it's not entirely clear yet what the interaction might be. Certainly, there will be no cross-protective immunity. So if you've had influenza, it doesn't protect you against SARS-CoV-2. And if you've had COVID, it doesn't protect you against flu. But what we have seen with some respiratory viruses is that during a very big outbreak of one virus, you tend to see suppression of, of other viruses, probably because you get what we call an innate immune response. It's not virus specific. It's kind of a general antiviral response when you get infected with one virus. And that's gives you a very short-term protection against 
infection with other viruses it's, it's, it's very short-lived but you do see when there's one big outbreak you tend not to have concurrent outbreaks of other viruses so it may be that if there's a, another big outbreak of COVID over the winter I think it's likely we will see lower levels of other respiratory viruses both because of the measures we will be putting in place to prevent COVID transmission but also perhaps because there may be some sort of not competition but some protection from being infected at the same time with another virus. All these measures we're taking around COVID-19, social distancing, um, hand hygiene and wearing masks a a lot more, obviously the hope is that they will continue to reduce the spread of, of COVID but also other respiratory viruses. But again, given winter is coming, presumably we'll be heading indoors a little more um, and socialising might take place indoors more than it was over the the summer. And if people are going back to work, people will be back on trains and so on. I wonder if you would have any advice to people going back, um, people preparing for the months ahead as to what they might choose to do. I think the most important piece of advice is that if you feel yourself getting ill, don't assume it's a cold. Please don't go to work, don't expose other people if you think that you're starting to develop a cold because some of the symptoms of COVID are very similar to to colds, you know, with a bit of a cough and a bit of a fever and just feeling a bit achy and unwell. So those symptoms should really be a warning sign that you, you may well have a cold, but you may have COVID and you really shouldn't be exposing other people. So the main message is if you're feeling a bit unwell, don't go to work, don't travel, don't socialise. Other than that, the measures that are being recommended, such as hand hygiene, face coverings, um, social distancing, etc., really will have an impact on all respiratory viruses. And actually, it's a good opportunity for us to learn how good those measures are, because we will be monitoring the, the transmission of flu and other respiratory viruses over the winter. And so we'll be able to compare what happens this winter with the current COVID-19 Um, measures in place to previous years and it will actually tell us quite a lot about how effective those measures are against respiratory viruses. I think a good number of the scientists I speak to suspect that we'll see a rise in cases over the autumn and winter but that it won't be of the order we saw in the spring. Would you say that's sort of a consensus view that that is where the thinking is or is it really just an unknown? What I think is that we will see an increase in cases and we may well see a fluctuating levels as interventions are put in place locally and then relaxed again. Um, we're already seeing increases in cases. So we can see that, that the relaxation of the lockdown and the recapitulation of previous behaviours of travelling and socialising, etc., does increase transmission. So we can expect case numbers to go up. How high they go really depends on whether the measures are put in place and whether there is adherence to those measures. I very much doubt we'll we'll see the numbers we saw earlier this year because we now know that putting in place these measures does have a good effect. And so if we start to see that we're really losing control again, um, those measures will be reintroduced and we we will bring down the numbers much quicker than we did previously. Peter, huge thanks for this. Really valuable to hear from you and um, good luck with all of this uh, over the coming months and who knows maybe years thanks again thank you very much Ian it's been a pleasure thanks again to Peter if you have any questions about the science behind the coronavirus outbreak 
Do get in touch by filling in the form found at theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions. That's all one word. We'll be back Tuesday. Stay safe and see you then. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.